0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to laying the points with Farley Betts. It's another episode of our ATS betting podcast where we go over a few NFL plays. Usually, I was doing the full NFL slate. Today, we're going to just take a deep dive into three games, and we have a great guest on the show, and Matt Landis. He's a contributor over there on their NFL show at Vison Live, as well as on his Props and Hops podcast, breaking down these NFL games. We're going to break down three. NFL games for you today, and talk about some sports betting stuff in general. My name is Chris Farley, aka at Farley Bets. You can find me at Farley Bets across all social media. That's Twitter, that's TikTok, that's Instagram. If there's any other social media, oh yeah, Facebook, Meta, whatever. I don't have that, but you can catch me on those three platforms. We're here every single week to talk about the NFL and NFL betting in particular. We are going to have an NBA podcast coming up soon, going to have other guests on that podcast, going to also look into creating a very short mini NBA props podcast with some of my buddies from Sports Wagering University. You know, Michael Newbert has been on this show before, David Lafieri, they could be great guests and I think it's going to happen. We just have to get some some things in line, some things in order, but I would love to have just a quick little props podcast every now and then to go over some of uh, their favorite NBA props. They run some systems. They got some uh, positions with NBA props, more so than me. So I'd love to add that element to my podcast network here, laying the points. And as far as I go, I've been very transparent about it. This NFL season, getting my ass kicked a little bit. The, M- the NFL is opening up a can of whoop ass on Farley bets. Yeah, that's right. It is. It is what it is. We're down 13 units on the year. Again, I've been very transparent about it, but I'll also be transparent about this. It's a weird year, and I'm not just saying that because I'm losing. It's a weird year because we're seeing historically poor-performing teams like the Seahawks, the Jets, the Falcons, the Giants, and they're covering against the spread. The Chargers are 5-3 and three against the spread. And then we're seeing teams who we typically expect To bounce back, to respond, to regress back to their mean of being a good ATS team. And it's not happening. Teams like the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Packers, the Saints, the Colts, the Rams, the Bucks, they're all under 40% against the spread. So that kind of thing keeps on happening. Last week, Green Bay in a great response spot. I mean, you would think after four losses against the Lions, who they've owned, nope, they scored nine points. They didn't cover and they lost straight up. The Cardinals, coming off a bad loss against Minnesota. They go down, they're back at home. Okay, let's recalibrate. Let's beat a team that beat us before in a revenge game at home. Nope, the Seahawks win again. So that's just the story in the, in the NFL this year, and I think that's why those data minds, the data experts, those guys running models, they're doing well because what the data tells you is, in general, what's happening. Whereas I'm a contrarian guy, I'm a response guy, I'm a situational better, psychology better. It works for us very often in the NBA. It ain't working in the NFL this season, but that's okay. We will adjust, recover, and part of that is, honest to God, probably sounds crazy at this point, but sticking to some of our philosophies that we know are going to become true eventually, some of these teams will regress Back to the mean. The Seahawks are probably not going to the Super Bowl. In my opinion, teams like the Bucs still have a better chance. Even a team like the Packers probably has a better chance. Um, I know it's gross. I'm throwing up in my mouth saying it. I think the Packers are done. I'm just saying. If you put the Packers in the Super Bowl right now against an elite AFC team instead of the Seahawks, I'm not so sure the Seahawks are better because of a lot of intangibles that come into play once the playoffs come, right? But it's just a weird NFL season, and it is what it is. As far as the NBA goes, we're still hitting at a high rate, uh, 50 plays, hitting at 60%. Actually, maybe it's 60 plays now. Uh, we're hitting 34-26-1, I believe is my record, uh, which is 60%. Let me verify that as I'm paging through my record. But we're still plus 12 units. Yeah, 36-23-1. So things are going wrong in the NBA. They were going even better. Had a weird day of variance yesterday. but Day off today, back at it tomorrow, and like I said, more NBA content around the corner. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Landis, a great guest on this show. We talk about a few NFL games, his background, and just a little sports betting stuff because we love it. What can I say? All right, let me pass it over to that segment. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Laying the Points with Farley Betts. This week, I'm joined by a very special guest in Matt Matt Landis. Matt, I didn't even ask. Is that the right way to say your name, Landis?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. First try. Most people don't do it right the first time, so well played.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I'm pretty sure that I've heard it before, which is why you're on my podcast. But he is a weekly NFL contributor at VEASAN Live, as well as a host of the Props and Hops podcast. Check that out if you get a chance. You can look him up on Twitter. He is at MLANDES18. Or you could just probably search for Matt Landis, and he'll come right up. Matt, what's going on, man? Thank you for joining me on this NFL Pot.
1: Chris, thanks for having me on. It's uh, I guess now with the 17 game season, it's hard to delineate the midway point. But now no. double digits, week ten, we can safely say that we're on to the second half.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is officially the the second half of the season that we're answering. Yeah, it's like I guess halfway through the one o'clock games. Last week was halfway. I, I, I don't know, not really, because we got what two games at the four o'clock slate. Uh, but for those of my listeners who haven't heard of you before, Matt, they should have. But if they haven't, can you just give us a little bit of your background, man? Like, how did you get into sports betting? Uh, you know, how did you take on this this crazy industry and just get interested on in it, and then become a content a content producer as well? Because I feel like you found your lane in that regard.
1: Sure. So I probably got into it a good bit later than most. I don't think that I placed a bet until after I had graduated college. And part of that might be growing up in Southern California, not exactly the hotbed of betting like a lot of people, maybe from Western Pennsylvania or Ohio Mm -hmm. or spots like that. But it all started for me. I remember a Monday morning in my early 20s, I had a, a corporate job. It was a good corporate job, but Monday mornings were not necessarily anybody's favorite part of the week. And one of my good friends who sat across from me uh, came to his desk and he just had the biggest grin on his face. And I was like, Hey, like, what's up? You seem like you're like, especially upbeat from Monday morning. And he started bragging about this parlay he hit in college football over the previous weekend. And right away that got me thinking, okay, I know we're friends cause we're sports fans. I feel like I know at least as much about this about sports as this guy does. Uh, So if he's, you know, maybe winning money as a better than maybe I can do it. And I didn't think, hey, he hit one parlay. How many has he placed that didn't hit? Is he really a winner? I just saw that he won one bet. That was eye opening to me, got hooked up with his offshore account. And uh, I think that one of the best things that I was able to implement from the get go in my betting journey was trying to be as objective as possible. Because at the time, again, early 20s, I opened up my first offshore with $50 and placed a $10 bet. Against my alma mater, the USC Trojans, they were hosting University of Arizona in football that weekend. And that $10 bet seemed really big to me. And if we're looking at the Kelly criterion, it was way too big for a $50 bankroll. Uh, But nevertheless, Arizona (laughs) covered. And I thought right out of the gates, being a fan, a lot of people like to bet on their team. Because it's yep. it's a way to you know get an added rooting interest, or some people like to actually bet against their team because there's the emotional hedge. You're either going to be happy your team won or that your bet won, so you're kind of covered either way. I try to use my knowledge of the teams that I root for, and even the knowledge I've developed for teams that I don't root for, um, just to inform betting wherever there's value on or against teams. Being quick to pivot week to week, trying to stay as objective as possible, that has served me pretty well in the decade plus that I've been betting. And after I opened that first offshore and placed that first bet on Arizona to cover against my alma mater, the USC Trojans, I continued to get into the space. Actually, um, probably some good survivorship bias, just good timing on my part. I got into the herd and his blazing Five when he oh, was yeah. on like an epic heater a few years back that some listeners might recall. Um, I remember Colin Coward always having RJ Bell come on the show to break down yep. the blazing Five. And after a certain number of times I listened to it, they would always mention pregame.com as a quick plug. I don't know how many times I'd heard that plug before I finally just checked out the site out of curiosity. And from that first visit to pregame, there there was a lot that didn't really resonate with me. But one thing did, it was a column called Point Blank by David Malinsky. And David Malinsky is a legend in the sports betting space. He had a daily column that was... About as good as I've ever seen when it came to the level of nuance that he could get into, but still communicating things in a way that even a novice better could understand. And he'd weave in, you know, beer and spirits and music and local mom and pop restaurants. He just made a really fun read out of trying to find value on the betting boards each and every day. And Dave's column also had a comments feature that Dave would use to interact with everybody. He would answer everything. It was unreal having this direct pipeline to somebody who was so dialed in. And so fortunately I got to know Dave over the years of reading his work and just commenting on his stuff. And once I made a trip out to Vegas, met him for lunch and I had no idea what I was getting into. I brought a pen and pad to this, you know, restaurant um, just off the strip in Vegas to try to think I'm going to pick this pro bettor's mind about getting all his tips on betting. I don't think we spoke a word about betting. He just wanted to get to know me as a person. And he had so many interests beyond that realm. We built up a good friendship and fast That's forwarding cool. a bit to the 2017 NFL season. Of all people, he approached me, should have been the other way around, but he approached me about starting a podcast on the NFL and craft beer, two of our favorite things. And we did that together. It was called House of Yards. Um, we did it for the 2017 NFL season. As some people may know, if they follow Dave's work, um, Dave kind of suddenly and tragically passed away in a hiking accident spring of 2018. So that cut short our run doing House of Yards together. But I stayed in touch with his community of followers through that point blank column And ultimately, summer 2020, kind of a pandemic passion project, rekindled a sports betting and craft beer podcast that, you know, I've come to really run and love over the past couple of years, and that is Props and Hops. So kind of all started with Dave, and now I'm doing it as the kind of solo full-time host, but bringing on a lot of the brightest, sharpest minds in the game. Um, And it's just been a great way to really move forward from a life-changing relationship with somebody as legendary as David Molinsky was.
0: Yeah. Wow, man. I mean, a lot of a lot of crossover there. Uh, Probably the guy that I interacted with first was Kyle Hunter. I remember sending him an email like probably five, six years ago now. And he like responded the same day. Um, I think it was one of the I think he was just sharing something personal on the show that I could relate to. But just like such a good dude, Uh, you know, and at that time, you know, similar to your 2017 story. It's like, yeah, betting was well-known but not like it is now you know like every every year right just exponentially it's like you know burgeoning and burgeoning even more um back then i was listening to the bang the book podcast a lot and i just learned a lot of you know the rules of the road about sports betting from adam burke and the guests that he had hey, he had on like tony george like Kiev o'neill who now that the odds breakers obviously is is, is what this podcast runs through and who i've been running for a while so it's just interesting You know, you do hear all the time, we're talking about it a little bit before the show. You got to be cautious in this industry because it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, dog dog eat dog, right? It's, it's everybody, you know, people say, oh, we're not competing with each other. Whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm very competitive, man. And and, I mean, every single year, I want to be the best sports better in the world. But we all know that that's not possible because of variance and everything else. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's an industry right now that since it's exploding so much, you would think that there would just be sharks around every corner. There's a lot of kind people in this industry, too. And it's nice to hear, you know, that you've had such great support um, from the start of your journey. And I know that I have here at the Odds Breakers and with a lot of the people that I met. And it's great to finally have you on the podcast. And I got to I got to I got to end my reaction to your intro by saying this USC, huh? My, my best friend for years was a USC Trojans fan. Um, I'm a Notre Dame fan, Matt. But you know what? Not not as much these days because I've always been more oriented to pro football. And I've accepted for the, I don't know, the past 20 years that, you know, Notre Dame is not a titan anymore in the college football world. But I must say, USC making some strides back to greatness, my man. I mean, you must you must like what you're seeing there.
1: Yeah, right before the college football season kicked off, I had the honor of bringing Brad Powers onto Props and Hops, and he was spot on recommending Tennessee. I, I think they're, even with last week's loss, I think they're already over their season win total. Oh, yeah. And USC, he and I were seeing eye to eye on an under there. Just no continuity, no defense. Uh, the lack of defense has still reared its head at times, but Lincoln Riley has really hit the ground running. And I think this USC-Notre Dame game coming up in a couple weeks has a lot more intrigue than I would have guessed. Uh, after I had a USC under ticket in hand to start the season and Notre Dame lost at home to Marshall. Suddenly, <laughs> yeah. Notre Dame's beating Clemson. SC's only got one loss and still kind of in the mix on the outside looking in. So it's it's just nice that it's been such a rocky past decade or so at this point. But yeah. uh, for an SC Notre Dame game, you know, Thanksgiving weekend to have this much meaning as we're looking at probably in a couple of weeks, it's going to be a good time.
0: Yeah, they actually have a little bit of steam now. I was really impressed by Notre Dame last weekend, obviously. I didn't see that coming. I thought that it was at least going to be a competitive game against Clemson. But, you know, maybe Marcus Freeman, maybe things are looking up for Notre Dame as well. Tough for me to believe that they can ever compete, you know, with some of the big dogs. I mean, literally the big dogs like Georgia. But maybe someday, man, and I I think USC at least, you know, this isn't a college football pod, and I'm, I'm really not a college football handicapper. There's a lot of people who are better than me out there. But, you know, you guys do routinely bring in some great speed, especially on offense. Your quarterback looks pretty damn good. I mean, as long as you have those starting ingredients, at least in college football with the coach, obviously, you know, you're on the right track. And nice, I think the football world is the college football world is better when USC is a good team, you know, or, or like at least a competitive team, right? They're such a historical franchise. Um, so, with that, Matt, let's get into some of these NFL games. You gave me three games to talk about, and they're not easy ones. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. So, this should be a good conversation. Uh, let's start with the seattle seahawks who are in a home game not really heading to germany against the bucks bucks are two and a half point favorites matt totals are 44 and a half now i'll 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 start by saying this and i tweeted this out this morning and you know i'm always very transparent about my performance and uh, i'm not i'm not doing that well in the nfl this year i'm down 13 units and a lot of that is because – and, you know, we can get into some of the more philosophical stuff too because I know you brought up some points before the show about that too, about, you know, teasers and such. Um, you know, what I'm seeing are historically elite teams who we can typically trust, you know, teams like the Bucks or, you know, the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers, you know, the Rams. Um, they're just obviously not performing at the same levels, right? So you just – you can't bet on these favorites in the same way. Everybody knows that dogs are winning – and teams like the Seahawks, the Jets, the Chargers are even doing well against the spread. I mean, these are good teams against the spread. I don't know. If... That being said, this is another setup to where I'm like, Matt, isn't there going to be some regression here? Tom Brady, game-winning drive, momentum for, for the Bucs. It makes me immediately lean toward the Bucs because that's how, that's how I handicap. You know, it's, Situationally, a team as loaded as the Bucks should shine here, but they haven't shown us much this season and all the Seahawks are doing is impressing us. What do you think about this game so far? At this juncture on the week of course we're recording on Tuesday, so it's tough to have all of our takes.
1: Yeah, I want to circle back to your point about the Bucks possibly having some momentum coming into yeah. this one after their last minute win over the Rams, but I I Would have had a really hard time thinking this before the season right now. I view these as fairly even teams. Just the fact that they're even in the same ballpark is (laughs) a a huge surprise. It sounds preposterous thinking back just 10, 11 weeks. But when I look at the Seahawks, their offense, again, maybe the biggest surprise of the season for any team on one side of the ball, but the offense seems to be proving week after week that it's a legitimately good unit. And that starts with Geno Smith at quarterback, Kenneth Walker, just a revelation out of the backfield. You know, they've got the good one-two punch at wide receiver with DK Matt and Tyler Lockett. So that offense just really exceeding expectations after trading Russell Wilson. And then defensively that unit was such a liability early on in the season ultimately thought the offense would see negative regression and the defense would do them in, but Pete Carroll talk about USC. Maybe it's some uh, bias there on my part. I do feel like Pete Carroll is doing a good job of developing this unit over the course of the season, not into anything special. This isn't the Legion of boom Seahawks. We knew for years, but it, it seems like in the past month or so, it has been a decent defense. And when we talk about a legitimately good offense and just a mediocre-ish defense in 2022 in the NFL, that's the makings of a good team. And as we look at Seattle's opposition this week in Tampa Bay, the Bucks are good, but they're not great. They're not as you know reliably dominant as you touched on earlier, like we thought they would be heading into the season. And I think a lot of that has to do with Byron Leftwich and the way he's running this offense. And I'll cite some numbers I came across from pro-better Fabian Summer, a.k.a. Summa, who hops on, props and hops with me every Wednesday during the course of the season to talk market movement. When we look at the Bucs, um, yes, they beat the Rams, and they really needed that win and all likelihood to save their season. But Byron Leftwich called 20 early down rushes this past Sunday, and those rushes averaged negative 0.4 EPA per play and just a 10% success rate. And I know that EPA per play success rate, kind of new age stats, so a lot of us don't know exactly what a baseline is. So if we talk about negative 0.4 EPA or, or 10% success rate, what does that mean? For context, both of those numbers over the course of a full season would be last in the league by a mile. So these early down rushes, left is calling, doing nothing good for the Bucks. And you might look at it and say, okay, well, he did call 39 early down passes. That's about a two-to-one ratio compared to 20 early down rushes. So, you know, that's not so bad. Even if the run game's not working, you have to have some semblance of balance, and he's still passing twice as much as he's rushing in these early downs. I will say as a caveat, Suma pointed this out. The Bucks had drives in their two-minute drill at the end of the first half, where we pretty much knew they had to pass, and then two drives at the end of the game where they were trailing late. Again, they pretty much had to pass. If we look at what we could safely call neutral drives in the Bucks-Rams game this past weekend, almost a 50-50 split on early downs between passing and rushing knowing that you've got Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in the passing game and a rush game that's just torpedoing your production offensively. And Tom Brady bailed out Leftwich. I do wonder if the win is going to ultimately lead Leftwich to see validation to his process instead of reevaluating things because of the result that Tampa Bay saw this past week. I mean, inside the 2-minute warning, we had the the Bucks down by 4 Turn the ball over on downs. It felt like their season was over. And now it seems like they're right back in the mix because the Rams couldn't get a first down. Tampa gets the ball back, goes down and scores. And I wonder, Chris, your point about momentum for Tampa Bay. If the Rams pick up a first down and ice that game, and if Tampa comes into this where the narrative is that their season's over instead of maybe they've got things back on track, I mean, what kind of spread are we looking at here? Because I feel like I won't be surprised to see this touch three. Some of the sharper offshores are two and a half shaded toward the three right now. So I'm in wait and see mode right now. Asymmetric risk. If I can get a Seattle plus three, I plan to take it. If not teasing them up through now, not just the three and the seven, but even eight is a bit of a key number in teasers this year. Seattle plus two and a half has some nice teaser appeal. I just feel like we're getting some value on the Seahawks potentially because of the way that last minute unfolded in Tampa Bay this past Sunday. And if it went the other way, which it very easily could have, uh, we might be talking about this entirely differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the Bucks started this season covering by 21 points in two games, and now they haven't covered in, the, in their last seven games, right? Like, it's, 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 it's really tough for me to just turn a corner and expect that the Bucks are going to produce at a high level. And, you know, their two biggest losses this year, I wish there was a little bit of – you know, uh, like uh, themes that were coming out of that, but it was to the Chiefs. Okay, that makes sense, right? Explosive offense against an offense that's not explosive right now in the box. But then there's the Pan- you know Panthers. <laughs> the pa- Panthers were their biggest loss all season, uh, and I don't know if that's you know something that I could look into. I mean, that's kind of a game that I just throw away because it's like the Bucks didn't even show up. And, yeah, it wasn't
1: even a fluky loss. Like I was, where's the, where's the muffed punt or the pick no, six or the no, fumble? No. Like that they was a, a clean win somehow for Carolina.
0: They just beat. Him. I mean, that was, you know, Wilkes and uh, PJ Walker, the, I mean their showcase game of the year, at least on offense, right. Which kind of makes sense why they're going to start PJ again on, on Thursday. Yeah, don't start Baker. I'll say that. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, if there's, if there's just a little bit again of that explosive offense from Seattle, how, how are the Bucs going to catch up? I mean, this is still – the Bucs are a team that's used to passing a lot. They lead the league in pass attempts per game. Um, and, you know, we know that that's probably the smart choice from all the things you're saying about their run game. Has not been successful this year. And what I'm seeing from successful running teams, right, is some creativity in their run game, right? There's misdirections. You know, they're getting to the outside, zone schemes, whatever. The Bucks are a downhill running team. And, you know, maybe that works in the playoffs when – your motivation is high. The trenches are really, you know, uh, significantly, you know, there's like significant effort on every single play. But, God, when you start out these games, depending on the rush to start your drive and those first downs, it, it, it puts the Bucks in, in tough situations every single time, to your point. So it, it's, it's interesting, though, man, how they, they haven't adjusted really. You know, like we're, we're seeing that week in and week out. Now, maybe that was Leftwich's response. After they played the Ravens, because in the first half, they did have some success on the ground. Finally, why they abandoned the run in the second half, I'll never know. So maybe that was his attempt, you know, to try and do that again. Uh, the Seahawks, not exactly a, a premier rush defense, but they are, to your point, every player on this team. like, And, and it's the reason why I think it fits out. It, it shapes out so well for Pete Carroll is because, you know, he's a very successful college coach, right? He's good with younger players. He's good at developing players, motivating them, inspiring them. And he's bringing the best out of this entire team. A lot of these kind of no names before the season are coming out on defense and showing out. So I think it's going to be competitive in the trenches for the Bucs when they're on offense too. And then if we think the Seahawks have a competitive advantage on offense, um, you know, Bucks passing defense has been good, but – you know, Geno Smith's playing with some swag, man. He's not going to be afraid going into Germany. So uh, I agree with you. This makes a great teaser leg, I think, on the Seahawks. My immediate instinct was to look at the Bucks when it was – I think it was like minus one or minus one and a half at first, and then it shot up. Uh, but that's just an instinct, right? And a lot of that instinct is from historical uh, things that I know about the NFL that happen season after season, right? The quarterback is the most important player on the field. The coaches. And in the past, you put Tom Brady in the situation. He's going to take care of business. I'm not sure if that's the case this year. So this is probably going to be a stay away for me, Matt. But I also agree with what you said about the plus three. Um, That's going to be a tough number not to take if it gets there, and I'm sure it will. All right, let's go to the Colts. You talk about a tough – you talk about a gross game that you picked, Matt. What are you you doing to me here? The Colts, (laughs) who just signed – or signed, I don't know, hired Jeff Saturday as their interim head coach. Uh, big old uh, emoji question mark in that one. It's going against the Raiders. Raiders are at home. That's up to six and a half now at some books. Tolls are at 42 or 42 and a half. What do you see in here, Matt? I mean, this is this is gross, man. Yeah, so this one,
1: it, it is gross. And there are two factors that have me looking almost equally strongly in opposite directions here. So I want to see if there are any thoughts I can you know get from you on this one to maybe nudge me one way or the other. On the pro Raider side of things, Last week, I think they had one of the more misleading losses. Uh, If we look at late downs, the Raiders only converted four out of 15 attempts. The Jags, nine out of 15. In the red zone, the Raiders went 0 for 1. The Jags were 3 for 4, converting those red zone trips into touchdowns. And aside from last week's result, uh, we've got, you touched on it, the Colts head coaching situation uh, coming a couple weeks after an ownership-mandated quarterback change. uh, Crossing over sports here, but I'm also an Angels fan in baseball, and that has been a painful existence of late. But I know what it's like to have a meddling owner who just seems to cripple his team by not empowering people in positions that should be positions of authority. Um, And now they've got Sam Ellinger and Jeff Saturday. That doesn't sound like a recipe for success in the NFL in 2022. (laughs) So that has me thinking the Raiders under a touchdown could have some pretty decent value. And on the other side of things the Raiders have plenty of head coaching questions on their own in this one. Um, You know, with Josh McDaniels in his first season, already three losses in games in which they've led by at least 17 points. And I think they're on track to, you know, break a record. If we see one more of those efforts from the Raiders, that's going to be a dubious distinction for this year's Las Vegas team. And even though this could be a really big get right spot for them, just the current state of the Raiders, I have to wonder almost on the other end of the spectrum point you talked about with Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, could the Raiders be getting close to letting go of the rope under this Josh McDaniels tenure? So it's tough in a vacuum when I see what's going off the Colts and see how the Raiders had probably a misleading final score last week. I would like to look their way laying less than a touchdown currently minus six and a half hosting the Colts. Maybe a rare coaching edge for them, even with McDaniels going up against Jeff Saturday, who has a little bit of high school experience. And that's about <laughs> it. Um, I just think that X factor really could be the psyche here, and that's not my forte as an analyst. I, I try to look at things more from an analytical standpoint and see what I can yeah. justify logically. But I do know that the psyche really matters. It's just really tough for me to quantify. And thinking back to David Malinsky, he would talk about games like this with two bad teams and so many unknowns. It, it's almost like there's increased variance in a game like this, where the standard juice of minus one ten might as well be minus one fifteen because of all the added unknowns. So maybe a stay away for me, but I just think that on paper, I see so many things that point me toward the Raiders. Is there anything you see that might put you over the edge on playing the Raiders, laying less than a touchdown, or, or would you have enough to, you know, think about pro Colts or anti Raiders that would keep you going in a different direction on this one?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, if you, when I transplant myself and I like pitcher being in Las Vegas for this game with Jeff Saturday, (laughs) <laughs> and, and his his piercing eyes, Matt, on the sideline. That's about. That's. I mean, you know, maybe that has an effect on the Colts. I don't know what the hell. I don't know what effect he's going to have on the Colts. But I mean, Dude was a great offensive lineman. Maybe their offensive line plays better. But when I picture him on the sideline, Josh McDaniels on the other side in Vegas, is like it's just an absolute shit show. And yet this is a, this is an authoritative line, right? Six, six and a half. Raiders are going to win this game by a touchdown. Uh, I guess, is what the is the you know, perception that we're supposed to have. I'll say this. On paper, I like the way the Colts stack up against the Raiders in some ways. I mean, they're getting sacks, you know, probably not as much as they want, but Shaquille Barrett back. They're getting some sacks. They're good against the rush. Uh, you know, they only allow – I have it somewhere in my notes here – 3.8 yards per rush. That's second in the NFL, you know. And now teams have – you know, it has to be a little bit of an asterisk by that because teams have chosen – to throw the ball against the Colts for the most part. But, you know, they have a guy, Stephon Gilmore, who's been against Devontae Adams before. He should be able to limit him. You know, we saw last week the Raiders, Derek Carr, just constantly, constantly, constantly feeding the ball to Devontae, which is probably a good idea most of the time. But, you know, when you have a cornerback, a guy like Stephon Gilmore, who's, who's going to step up, you know, it's much like we saw with Sauce Garner last week against Stephon Diggs, right? kind of took away that thread a little bit and, and it – made the bills into a different, a different kind of offense. Um, So on paper, I kind of like the way the Colts stack up and, and it's a, it's a big number for a Raiders team who they just can't close distance in some of these games where they, they should be able to. Right. But at the same time, the biggest wins for the Raven or for the Raiders this year against the Texans, right. A team that doesn't have a lot of offense, a team that doesn't have explosive plays against the Broncos by nine points, another team that doesn't have explosive plays. The Colts with a rookie quarterback doesn't, doesn't feel very explosive right now, Matt. And I know they're coming you know, off that game at New England. Obviously, that's kind of an anomaly because it's at New England against a rookie quarterback. It just happens every time, right? Bill Belichick and that defense has their way. I think, I think the Colts barely got over 100 yards, uh, total yards in that game. So that was, you know, you kind of have to throw that one away. Um, But the thing I really don't like about this game for the Raiders is Derek Carr in that press conference after the game, kind of free associating and just things were just coming out about like, you know, about Josh McDaniels as a coach, right? Like we, we have to, these guys have to have to play in the second half. You have to have them ready to play. You have to, um, you know, motivate them to a certain level to get them ready for the second half. And I rewatched that film, Matt. The Raiders didn't show up in the second half, man. I mean, the Jaguars, you know, they came way back. And then once the Raiders went down, oh, you know, all of a sudden they woke up. Well, the Jaguars had been woken up and it wasn't enough, right? So if the Raiders sleepwalk again, once they gain a lead against the Colts, which they probably will because they have a much better offense at this point, and it's, it's not a great offense, but they do, uh, there's still a path for the Colts to stay in this game because of how poorly coached they are. So again, this is probably going to be a stay away, but to your point, because of what we see on paper, I have to lean to the Raiders because at least they can probably put up some points here. This is a good setup for the Raiders defense too, because there's nothing explosive coming from the Colts at this point. Did you have anything else to add about it?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's okay. I think we've done enough on, like you said, a pretty (laughs) ugly game, something with a bit more appeal we can talk about next. Uh, But yeah, I think that's some good food for thought on Colts Raiders.
0: OK, this this one has more appeal. I actually haven't taken a deep dive in this game just yet. So looking forward to what you have to say. Chargers at the 49ers, 49ers are seven point favorites, totals of 46 and a half.
1: Yeah, so I think of this one as we record on Election Day, I feel like we can do a little bit of a parallel with that and this game thinking in the theme of paths to victory for these two teams. It's almost night and day when we think about Joe Lombardi versus Kyle Shanahan. And for the Chargers, I'll kick it off with a a quick pop quiz for you, Chris. What do these numbers have in common? Four, three, three, two, one, and negative seven. Any sense related to this is relating to the Chargers. There's a little hint there. Any sense as to what those numbers might all have in common?
0: Uh, Nope. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know.
1: All right. So those are all the distances of Justin Herbert completed passes. In a win for the Chargers, but uh, a a pretty ugly win over the Falcons this past Sunday. Six completions for less than five yards. And I'm not talking about a three-yard completion on third and two that moved the chains. These are categorically unsuccessful plays, despite being completed passes. And that wasn't an anomaly for the Chargers this season. Coming out of their bye, I was hoping to see something a bit more explosive. I know they're limited with personnel, a lot of injuries. But with Justin Herbert at quarterback, I I just struggle throughout my head around how this is justifiable in any way. To refuse to attack downfield and when you can't get explosive plays going you have to really thread the needle your paths to victory are really narrowed i think and that's illustrated by the fact that the chargers outside of their game-winning field goal off of one of the craziest plays of the season when both teams lost fumbles in atlanta in that end game the chargers had three scoring drives prior to that point 15 10 and 14 plays And when you're relying on that many plays, that level of efficiency to get a drive finished properly, that's a good way to turn a comfortable win into a close win or a close win into a close loss. And again, as a Chargers fan, I don't want to complain about a close win. I'll take the the small win over a, a close loss anytime. But I just feel like when they have to thread the needle and they are so dependent on not having a penalty or a sack or, you know, the more plays they run the higher probability of a turnover, like that Eckler fumble that they thankfully got back at the end of the game, but without the explosive plays, it's just such an uphill battle for this offense to really do anything in terms of lighting up the scoreboard. And when I look at the Niners here, I mean, it's, it's, the complete other end of the spectrum, Kyle Shanahan dialing things up with great athletes like Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, George Kittle, Kayu's chick. Now Christian McCaffrey in the fold, all the formations Shanahan can throw your way. The priest, that motion, the paths to victory are just infinitely greater for the 49ers in this one. So uh, I'll say on election day with zero precincts reporting, because this game doesn't take place until Sunday night. I'm almost ready still to unofficially call it for San Francisco. I totally agree with the team up to minus seven for the 49ers. unfortunately, Can't advise betting that now would have liked the, uh, you know, minus six and a half. But for something actionable for the listeners, I know we had one of the sharper offshores shaded toward seven and a half pretty recently. I won't be surprised to see the Niners steam continue. And if this one does cross through the seven or we see a lot of VIG attached to those minus sevens for San Francisco, this becomes another potentially appealing teaser candidate as well, because it's just tough to see, you know, how the Chargers can barring a miraculous way of threading the needle here, how they can find a path to victory up in Santa Clara this Sunday.
0: Yeah. I mean, aside from the Seahawks at the beginning of the year, which made us all say, Oh, it's just the Seahawks. They're still the Seahawks. You know, the 49ers put down the Seahawks quickly. I think that was week two, uh, the NFL season, but we really haven't seen them put away teams yet this year besides that game. And so it's tough for me to take the seven with the 49ers, but coming off a bye. You know, it does show where the market how or how the how the market values the Chargers who, you know, coming into this season on, on a lot of people's radars as you know, potentially a Super Bowl contender, one of the better teams in the NFL. What I see in this game is is kind of building off your points, a huge coaching disparity. I mean, I, I am not a fan of Brandon Staley in any regard. Um, and I think we see at the end of these games. The reason why they pull back into these games is because of Justin Herbert. He's just making things happen. He's, he's willing the ball into the receiver's hands because he could be so precise, probably still with some kind of you know rib or like abdominal injury, um, even under pressure. Right, He's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL since he started playing quarterback under pressure. Um, so it kind of changes their offense a little bit because he doesn't accept their offense as much anymore. right? But a risk that you get into when you go up against a team like the 49ers, are ex, as explosive as they can be and as creative as they can be. And then they have the defense to back it up. Right. And they got some guys coming back on defense. I mean, Eric, uh, Eric Armstead could come back into this game. Uh, they're starting to get healthy. Now they still have injury concerns, but they're starting to get healthier. And this is the defense at home after a bye, after they got some rest where, you know, the chargers could be walking into a buzzsaw here Um I don't like that for the Chargers because again, my instinct is like, all right, dogs are covering this year. The market is consistently wrong with that. This is a big number for a talented Chargers team who who somehow in you know they eked away with a win in that last game. But the 49ers are in a great spot, Matt. And and there's a huge disparity in coaching, a huge disparity in offensive potential. Um, and and still that defense, man, like I, you know, it would, it would never shock me if, like, one week the defense kind of came all together and everybody played up to par or up to their capability. We just haven't seen that yet, right? I mean, even against the Falcons, the Falcons did things in that game and kept on answering the bell and staying ahead of the Chargers in that game against, on paper, what you would think would be a defense that could dominate a Falcons team like that, and it's just not happening. So I think the 49ers, for me, make a, a better teaser leg uh then taking them seven right now but like i said i haven't done a deep dive on that yet before i let you go matt because i know we both have other obligations and things to get to um you wanted to talk a little bit about teasers did you just want to send out you know some kind of disclaimer for the audience because i know teasers haven't been easy i mean the nfl hasn't been easy for me at all in general but either has teasers and it probably should be right because of all the dogs covering but i think i think there's a bigger story than that did you just want to bring that up
1: yeah, it's been so perplexing as to why, especially, you know, even with underdogs covering this year, it's, it's not enough to overcome the Vig on a teaser. I think that teasers, while they're brutal so far this season, and maybe there are some underlying reasons they're not as good as they once were, I think I'm hearing a lot of chatter week after week about people jumping ship, and I'm not sold yet on the teaser, not still being a good bet if you can cross through those key numbers of three and seven and lay no more than minus 120 and full disclosure, I bet them a lot and it is not going well at all this season, but I also have to catch myself and think, okay, we've got in that long teaser range of seven and a half to eight and a half point favorites or one and a half to two and a half point dogs. We've got a few dozen games through nine weeks, and I'm not confident that that's a significant sample size. I am always trying to evaluate, however, how the game might be changing. It seems like, numbers around 3 and 7 are landing a bit more. I feel like this season more than the rest of my betting life combined, I've lost on favorites that have won by one or two or on underdogs that have lost by 8 or 9. So I'm trying to keep an open mind about it. I mean, Chris, do you think that anything has changed fundamentally that has altered the value of that, you know, classic advantage wong teaser in 2022?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me it's the favorites, right? So uh, again, I'm 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 counting on some historically good favorites to respond in, in spots where they should, right? The Cardinals, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have teased the Cardinals last week, but that was a great example. Packers were a great example last week. Um, and it's, it's just not happening, but sometimes that can attach itself to teasers, you know, as well, right? Remember the Bucks or, or the Chiefs, you know, from last week. I mean, Chiefs were in arguably one of the better spots you'll see all year because of their home field advantage coming off a of bye because historically what we know they do off a of bye, And yet that was a very close game, and credit to Mike Vrabel again and a a Titans team who's as as gritty as it gets. Uh, But uh, things like that are really throwing me off. I would say – and, you know, it's never any hard rule. Things could flip instantly. But if you're going to look at teasers this year, it it probably is a smarter idea to at least look at the dogs and look at those Wong teasers, right, where, like, it really makes sense, right? And I think sometimes people – they just apply teasers because it makes us feel more comfortable, right? Let's get it over ten. Let's get it, you know. But as far as quantifiable value goes, you're not going to really find it, especially not this year with with all the um, variance and the nuance of what's going on and and a league that has a lot of parity, you know, a very very even league. So. Um, I I don't have all the signs. I don't have all the answers for that one, Matt. But I I can certainly relate to you. I've I've fallen quite a few times. We have a teaser of the week every week for my premium customers, and I think we probably hit three this year. You know, and and, and that's you that's something I hit way over 50% usually. You know, because you can select them smartly, right? With the long teasers this year, just not working out so well. So I could totally relate, my man.
1: Yeah, in a similar spot, I will just close by saying for those with the intestinal fortitude to stay the course, as we get deeper into the season, there is a little bit less variance in point spreads because we get a better sense of who these teams really are. So I feel like rest of season, I would make a healthy bet that Wong teaser legs will be profitable, especially if we're looking at those underdogs and games with low totals.
0: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Matt, it was awesome having you on the pod. We got to have you back. Um, Looking forward to more collaborations in the future. You're, I mean, you're definitely... I see you out there all the time and this gambling Twitter, this community that we're all sort of building, all trying to do the same thing and, uh, you know, tackle this obsession that we have for whatever reason why we have it. Probably all addicts a little bit, but it's okay. Cause we can make money on it. We can create a lot of good content. Um, so hope to see you again, man. And I'll be you know happy to, I'll drink some beers with you anytime, Matt. You just let me know. Um, love that. I love that. I love that name props and hops. I can't steal that one now, I guess, but. We'll have to see you back here next time, my man. I appreciate you coming up. Thank you. Yeah,
1: sounds great. Happy to turn it into a home at home and bring you on the show at some point. And then if you'll be at Bet Bash 3, we now know that's going to be next summer, then it could be a really good time with the beers to pair with some good bets.
0: Absolutely, man. Check him out at MLandis18 on Twitter and also at Props and Hops Pod. Matt, see you next time, my man. Thanks a lot again. Thanks, Chris.